This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Joel Windles, the CMO of NetMotion, says if you're working on building the ultimate customer experience, you should shift your mindset and instead look at it as an overall consumer experience. The difference is subtle, but the applications and implication of that mental move are necessary in a world where buying something goes far beyond just the basic transaction. The quickest shortcut to describing why it's important is unboxing videos on YouTube. You don't just buy a gadget or a phone anymore you're buying the presentation of the box that it comes in and how it slides out and how it sets up. It's much more than the utility of the product itself. From the moment you first hear about us to the moment you finally log in. And it's all of those micro touch points. How do you make sure every single interaction you have with us as a business is just really good? On this episode of Marketing Trends, Jewel takes us further down the consumer experience rabbit hole. Here, he provides some key marketing strategies to help curate a positive 360-degree customer experience, including tactics that not only drive customer engagement, but then turn those customers into champions for your brand. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, Joel. How are you? Hello, everyone. I'm rather well. So today we are going to be talking about a bunch of the cool things that you all have going on at NetMotion. Uh, And of course, we're going to get into your background a little bit. So let's get started with how did you get started in marketing? Um, I think everyone's path to marketing is different. There was no moment where I sat down and decided, I want to be a marketer one day. But I think I've been always interested in the creative side and almost the consumer psychology side. But my path was, I was a journalist for a while and was a fairly good writer when I was younger. And there is a real link between being a writer and trying to weave a story into the world of marketing. So it, it happened via the world of journalism. And so flash forward to today, tell me about what it means to be CMO of NetMotion. Well, it's funny to think that, uh, you know, 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more than 10 years ago, I was writing about video games for a a meager living. And now I'm talking about very complicated IT and cybersecurity concepts that in full truth, I uh, don't even fully understand right now. So it's been a kind of a crazy journey. Today, being a CMO can mean all kinds of different things, depending on your industry, depending if you're marketing to consumers or to businesses. Most of my career and and certainly what I do now is being a marketing leader at an organization that sells to other organizations, which I I do think is a very different breed to the traditional CMO that might come to mind uh, when you first think of that role. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, we, I'd say we probably skew a little bit on this show towards B2B just because we have so many, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. B2B CMOs on here, but it, it is it is super interesting how the role of the CMO has changed, you know, drastically in the last you know five to ten years. But also how the role of the CMO completely has changed uh, depending on you know what type of uh, of customers you serve. Maybe there's a little bit of blending. Maybe there's other things that are that are separately you know separate. Can you share you know who are your customers? Who are the folks that that you're selling to? 
So NetMotion has a, we're a security company effectively, and we have a platform designed to make the experience of getting your job done remotely better. And so considering the events of 2020, we've ended up having an extremely busy year. In terms of what the CMO role is, it's, you know, the, the shortest way to describe it is how do we make NetMotion famous? <laughs> it almost like a, when a salesperson walks into a room or joins a Zoom meeting, as it happens to be now, does the person that they're speaking to have a familiarity of who we are? Maybe they don't really know what we do. Maybe they're not even sure exactly what kind of software we have. I really do feel like the primary job of marketing is to make it so that there is that brand recall, if you like, or at least that presence within the minds of your potential audience to say, oh, NetMotion, I know those guys. And I, I do think there's a bunch of companies, often quite boring ones, that have managed to transcend what their original market might be. And this call is actually taking place over Zoom. And I think Zoom is a great example of one. No one was talking about WebEx. No one was talking about uh, blue jeans. And then suddenly my grandparents are talking about Zoom. And to me, I think really effective B2B software marketing and an effective CMO knows how to take their often stuffy or boring software and turn it into something that excites everyone. Yeah. It's kind of that Kleenex moment, right? It's uh, when, yeah. when, uh, when your brand becomes synonymous with something. But we're a long way from that. But I do think that being a good CMO is trying to look at, okay, what am I supposed to be marketing here? What are the strengths of the company? And where can you take that brand beyond where it originally belongs? So another example that comes to mind is uh, MailChimp. I'm not sure if you ever listened to those um, This American Life podcasts or anything like that. But MailChimp sure. is an email marketing software, which is inherently dull. But they find a way to be so compelling and so engaging that almost everyone has heard of MailChimp, whether they use it or not. And so I think uh, that really comes from having strong marketing leadership, which can apply to any company. So one of the things that, that you all have, uh, which is pretty unique, is a, is a high net promoter score. So I'm curious, like, how, how do you think about you know, NPS and marketing and NPS and things like that? You know, what I love, Ian, is almost every day I hear someone say NPS score, uh, which of course is like PIN number. Uh, so I'm very pleased to hear you say net promoter score. Um, and just for anyone who isn't familiar with it, it's it's a established framework for understanding how likely your customers are to recommend your product to a friend. And the average for software is 33, I think. So Microsoft has 34. So you're you're slightly more likely than not to recommend Microsoft products, probably not the Windows phone, but maybe Xbox or or Office 365 or something like that. Now, Zoom had a really good one for a long time in the 40s or 50s. Amazon has a pretty good one. But in NetMotion, we have 91. And I've yet to see a company that has one that high. And so it's very fortunate being a CMO at an organization where customers genuinely love the product and genuinely love the company. There's no snake oil. There's no charlatan. There's no tricks where I have to convince people to buy the product, despite the fact that a lot of customers don't like it. It's a very fortunate position to be in. And I think there's a lot more to that love and a lot more to that NPS that, than simply having a good product. You have to have a product that is good, sure, but it has to be that overall experience. When you call up and you have a problem, do you get through to someone that you know by name? Or do you get through to someone that you know, is a friendly human person not working to a script? When something goes wrong, do you get proactively reached out to? When there's a product update, is it told in a, a human and relatable and, and useful way? 
And I think there's all these micro touches that span the customer experience that contribute to that NPS. It's, it's much more than just how good is your support or how good is your product? Yeah. So obviously, you know, 91 is, is insanely high and, and like ridiculously, ridiculously high. How do you use that in your marketing? How do you take that? You know, I, 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 the average person might not know what, you know, MPS is, but if you're in the business world, you, you probably do. Yeah. It's a real challenge actually. And because every company, every website of every tool, even products that you and I both know are awful, they will say on their website, Hey, great customer support, happy customers. Look at these testimonials. And so the challenge is how do you say that? And then at the end go, no, but really, <laughs> really it is. And so some of the ways we've had success is there's a, there's a review platform, which is a bit like the TripAdvisor or the Yelp for enterprise software called G2 Crowd. And I think they do a really nice job of allowing users to rate software that they use in an enterprise capacity. And then they validate that user on LinkedIn and they give it an extra bump if they can send a screenshot of them using the product. So it's this really strong validated way of getting your users to do your marketing for you. So it's stepping away from the Gartner and Forrester and saying, hey, look, no matter what the experts think, what are the real users, the real human beings sat behind their computers trying to use this software? What do they have to say? And so we're trying to leverage that as much as possible. We're giving out you know, gift cards to customers that write reviews, but we're certainly not telling them what to say. And so I'm hoping to have uh, 50 on that platform in, in about a week's time. And so rather than making it, hey, what does NetMotion have to say about how great we are? How much can we champion the voice of our customer to do that message for us? And I think that just comes across as so much more credible than anything we could ever say. Yeah, we've had uh, we've had Ryan Benici on the uh, on the podcast before. He's great. Uh, G two is 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 awesome. Uh, I'm you know I in doing uh, our research before the episode, like we we look up G two for uh, for the folks that we have coming on the show. So I'm probably on the website like once a day. Um, so <laughs> I uh, I totally know what you mean. But I mean, it speaks to something that I think is actually a, a very broad trend in marketing that you have to um that you have to know right which is how do you you know pour gasoline how do you accelerate uh mm -hmm. word of mouth how do you accelerate people that love your product um what are some of the ways that you're thinking of doing that yeah uh, just to just to touch upon the comment you made about gt funnily enough i was one of their first customers in uh, when i worked for a company called brandwatch when they only had six employees and i was like this is going to be the future i'm going to get involved in this and uh, now i think they have uh, well over 500 so it's good to see that that whole project has worked to answer the question you just you just threw at me i think it comes to this idea of surprise and delight which i'm sure you're familiar with and the story that i returned to in my own head was i once flew virgin atlantic and the the air stewardess spilt wine on me by mistake and I didn't have headphones in my seat and I was bored on the flight. So I was like, I'm going to send customer service an email just explaining, Hey, this was kind of sucky because it was my first time flying in business class with Virgin. So I was excited by it and then disappointed. And I thought, you know, I'm not normally the person that complains, but I had nothing better to do. Anyway, when I land, I get this email apologizing straight away. And then they sent me a hundred dollar voucher for future flights. I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. They definitely met my expectations of what I, uh, or maybe even slightly exceeded them of what I expected from that incident. Now, that most companies would just leave it there. Well done. Issue resolved. NPS above average, let's say. 
But when I got on my return flight two weeks later with Virgin Atlantic, on my seat was a bunch of gifts and, you know, swag, Virgin stuff. And I was not expecting that. And so that took a really coherent customer experience strategy to say, okay, where is Joel sitting on his next flight? When is he next flying with us? What can we do to go well above and beyond to surprise and delight? And what you're doing is you're not just satisfying a, detra a potential detractor, you're turning a detractor into an advocate. And now I'm on a podcast talking about a flight I took about six years ago. And that's the difference. And that's what I think CMOs and marketers in general should try and leverage. Every time you have an engagement with a customer, it's an opportunity to surprise and delight and turn them into an advocate. Yeah, completely. I mean, it, it, it is the, you know, CX is the new brand, uh, is, uh, is something, you know, people are, are, have kind of started to say, but it's hundred percent true, right? It's like, there's just too much information flowing right now out of customers, whether it's via things like G2 or just sharing on Twitter or, you know, whatever people have a bad experience, like they're going to talk about it, right? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's going to come out. And it's not going to be siloed anymore. So if that's the case, it's like you have to be ready to to capture both the good and the bad and then be able to take action on the bad and to be able to promote the good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So what are some of the things that you do in your marketing then to to share those things when you when you get the the good feedback, when you uh when you see some of some of your customers or share customer success stories uh, or things like that? I think we do the the basics to some extent, right? You know, the case studies, the, the testimonials, the quotes and stuff, but some of the ways we try and amplify it beyond what a typical software company might do is, for example, we had these virtual trade show, Zoom conference type things earlier this year where every event was getting canceled and we decided, you know what, we're just gonna, we're just gonna have our own booth anyway. So we did virtual backgrounds and we said, you know, come along to our booth, have a conversation with us. And do you know what, privately, I thought it was gonna be a failure. Who would go to a virtual trade show? <laughs> it's the worst bit of a conference is walking around the floor. Um, but we ended up getting you know, scores of people coming along. And the part that was the most powerful is we had customers sit on this virtual trade show Zoom call for eight hours just because they liked chatting. And because they were there, it wasn't particularly in our plan at the time, because they were there, they were chatting. What would happen is uh, a random prospect would show up and be like, hey, I'm with this railway company. What's going on? I heard I could get you know, a Netflix voucher. Uh, so tell me about Netmotion. And you know what? We didn't even have to say anything because we had these advocates sat there on the call. They would say, oh yeah, I used to use AnyConnect. Uh, we switched to Netmotion four years ago. And you know what? I'm the biggest fanboy. I love it. This is why it's great. And so being able to stand back and allow your customers to directly engage almost impromptu with your potential prospects. Honestly, it does so much more and is so much more effective than anything we could do ourselves. Um, and we even have some some names in the marketing team of people that are kind of like our fanboys and fangirls that we refer to uh, by first name. And we think, oh, we should get this person on the call or, hey, let's send this person a, a random gift just as a thank you for being a cool customer in 2020. So I think adding that personal touch and allowing them to actually verbally be your champions for you in, in any opportunity you get has made a, has made a big difference for us. Yes. Yeah, so... Are there any campaigns that you've worked on uh, over the you know the past year or so that you're particularly excited about or particularly proud of? Yeah, and this one, although I think it was a, it was a really good campaign, lots of credit actually has to go to our sales team rather than our marketing team because they were looking for ways to engage now that they couldn't get on the road, and so that they they came up with this. It wasn't marketing; it was this idea of doing wine webinars. 
So every company in the world was doing webinars, but it's kind of boring. You get webinar fatigue. There's only so many you can go to in a day. And so what we ended up doing was working with a winery or a vineyard and saying, hey, anyone that wants to sign up to this webinar, we'll qualify you and then we'll send you two bottles of wine from this winery. We'll get the owner or the founder or whatever, the winemaker from that vineyard onto the webinar and you join. They talk you through the taste. They talk you through the history of the wine. We do 10 minutes on net motion, but not in a salesy way, just talking about some of the issues we've seen, some of the trends. And then we'll get a member of the webinar to share their stories. And the reason it's been so effective, especially in the UK, where my countrymen and countrywomen know how to drink, by the end of the two hours, you know, it's only scheduled for an hour quite often. They'll sit there for two, three hours at a time, chatting, opening up because as the alcohol flows, and by the end, they're all, you know, friends sharing horror stories from their 2020, talking about IT solutions. And NetMotion are just the facilitators. And it has become a genuinely powerful community. And we've been getting, you know, 50 or 60 different companies on an open Zoom call, just chatting and drinking once a month, um, I think in five different markets now in two different sectors. So what started as a, a silly little webinar idea has now become a cornerstone of our marketing strategy. How do you think that evolves? Because I'm so curious because I think, you know, the webinar fatigue is is super real. Um, I think it's a huge challenge for marketers right now. And and I think that, you know, we've we've seen anecdotally a lot of CMOs kind of share similar things that like smaller batch, deeper engagements, uh, actual trying to create, you know, more human connection, things like that uh, have worked really well, especially for enterprise buyers, because if it's something that that they can really enjoy and helps them, you know, do something that they're that they're trying to do and and most everyone is trying to figure out what the heck their peers are doing, it's super valuable. So yeah, how does that how does that how does that change next year? Does it change? Um is it something that uh is gonna, you know, you're gonna triple down on or something? Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. So what I'm actually in the process of trying to do now is figuring out how do I scale this? You know, if we, if we continue at the pace we're doing right now, that's a hundred next year. And we only, we don't have that bit. We have 180 people in the company overall. So doing a hundred of these webinars in Singapore, Australia, Japan, US, UK, Germany, it's going to be hard just to get that <laughs> level of attention and care that each one definitely needs. I think to build upon part that you just, you just mentioned there, once you can demonstrate, well, this is what we tried to do. Once you can demonstrate that it's not a timeshare, we're not going to be talking about our company and our products. We're not going to be shoving anything down your throat. We're just going to facilitate a genuine conversation. Suddenly it unlocks the word of mouth. So maybe you had two or three law firms, you know, kind of half interested and then they jump on the call and then they hear from like three or four other law firms that are having the exact same problem suddenly they're going to go tell their peers, hey, come along, you get free wine. NetMotion seem like cool guys and you get to hear about stuff from your peers. And there are big companies that just cannot compete with that. They've got too much red tape. They've got too many processes. They're trying to drive a sale quickly. Um, and so I think once they realize you're fairly friendly, non-threatening, open uh, partner almost, it just accelerates and it almost takes care of itself to some extent. You know, We're going to have to start turning people away which is a wonderful problem to have just because they've been so successful. But you're right, webinar fatigue certainly a thing and finding ways to carve out uh, a niche within that is something we're going to have to continue focusing on next year. And maybe people will get bored of wine at some point, so we're going to have to do rum webinars or, or something uh, a little bit better for the soul. 
Yeah, right. Uh, I think I think we all need some wine uh, over the course of this year anyway. So <laughs> you know, I've, actually, I've got my advent calendar for this year. Instead of chocolate in little windows is little mini bottles of wine. So uh, it's a terrible influence on, on my lifestyle is every day as a new wine to open. <laughs> there you go. So with kind of all that said, was there something that kind of like surprised you in your kind of marketing in, in 2020 that um, that was something that maybe you thought was going to work and maybe didn't work? Yeah. Do you know, I love celebrating failures to some extent. Um, certainly if it means you've tried something, um, perhaps that you've never done before. Um, I think if you're a fast growth company like we are, if you continue to just do the same things over and over, then it's just not going to work. I think some of the areas we've had the most disappointment in is actually international marketing. And that partly comes down to our ability to execute and have a big enough global team. But realistically, when you're operating in markets like Germany, which has extremely strict GDPR laws and totally different culture and tolerance around data, um, or Japan, which is extremely idiosyncratic compared to the way that we market in other markets. I think we where where I've been disappointed is looking at something that was successful and trying to apply it to another region and saying, hey, well, it worked here, it should work here. And actually it hasn't. And so as I go into 2021, we're having a lot of conversations and talking to even some external help, which is normally not my strategy at all, to say, all right, how do we build a Japan first strategy or a Germany first strategy. So rather than being an arm of the, let's say the global brand or the, the, the HQ, how do we say, all right, starting from scratch, what can we do that makes sense for this market? Which is a, a totally new challenge for me. And I think is uh, amplified by the fact that everything's remote now and digitally we're trying to do things all as one team. Yeah, it, you're totally right. I mean, I think that that is, um, that is something that, you know, as, as marketing leaders, you know, scale to new markets that like those little nuances, especially if you don't have anyone on the ground or if you don't have experience in those areas can be super difficult. How are you, how are you doing research in those places? You mentioned like, you know, maybe partnering with, with folks to, to help do that. Any other kind of tricks there? Well, I think one thing to remember is almost, uh, I think every marketing leader probably has this to some extent is that your salespeople will always say they're experts but they're not necessarily. I mean, they're experts at sales, experts at what they do. But uh, I think validating someone's opinion is really helpful. So if person X in country Y, or as I say, it's like a French salesperson, tells me, hey, this is what works in France. This is a hypothetical. We don't have a French department. Just I didn't want to make anyone <laughs> feel bad. But this is, uh, you know, this is what works in France, or this is what doesn't work in France. Because we only have one or two representatives in market, my choices are either to say, well, I know best or that person knows best. And so going to look at how other companies do it, speaking to freelancers, which is one thing that we've done, or even finding people on um, what's it called Upwork and just saying, well, what do you think is going to work is something that's starting to work better. And the thing I think is going to make the most difference next year is just being comfortable with the idea that some things are just going to be messed up. Some things are going to fail and flop. And that's not a reflection on the marketing team. It's not a reflection on the country team. It's just, if we can have a strategy where we rapidly accelerate and experiment through different ideas, we will find that balance of what sticks for that market. And we will, we will tap upon something that just really does work for that unique region and that unique uh, space that right now it's hard to crack exactly what it is. Well, and, you know, I think you're also marketing to 
an IT buyer that is just probably had their busiest year of their whole career, um, mm-hmm. has, you know, in many cases, five years worth of work in one year uh, that they're evaluating new things. They're asked a lot more things. And like you said, like there's just massive cultural differences, like in where that person is in the, in the buying kind of cycle, you know, like if it's a, if it's a technology leader in you know, in Silicon Valley or, you know, in the Bay area where, where I am right now, it's like, you know, I think a lot of those people kind of have blank checks to say like, and not, maybe not a blank check, but they, they definitely have a lot more, a lot more, um, you know, ability to say Stop like the priority list, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's like, Hey, we, you know, or, or even actually what we've seen a lot of times is like, it's actually been that they were already operating in this way. So now they're trying to take everything like, you know, two or three steps further. Whereas, you know, you might have another company that, you know, maybe in manufacturing or something like that, where it's like the way that they look at it problems is just completely different because they're not people on a computer. You know, the majority of their company isn't on a computer uh, as often or something like that. Yeah, for sure. And actually to call back to this, this wine webinar concept that's been so effective is, do you know what? Talking to IT people right now is almost like a support network. You know, that's what they're looking totally. for because like you say, they're overloaded. They've got so much to do. No one understands their problems. And, you know, they've been under the cosh for 10 months and having other peers and other people to talk to is actually from my perspective as a marketer, I can't speak on behalf of IT people. It's almost brought people working in IT closer together and, and they've sought to, to build those connections as a kind of way of coping or as a kind of way of figuring out what best practices or what plans should become. I heard a description uh, a little while ago of like, you know, when your product is so good that it gets people promoted, right? But it's, it's kind of marketing's job to the same sort of thing with like the, you know, the support group. If you're building the support group for, for your customers, you need to ma- be able to you know, understand what are, what are the causes and effects of this? Like, what are the intended outcomes of this? What are the unintended out- outcomes of this? I love that phrase. Where, where's that from? Software that gets you promoted. That's awesome. I no, it's just, I, I don't think it's from anything in particular. I just, I've, I've heard, uh, I've heard some, some CMOs kind of talk about that recently. It reminds me, I wrote a blog post, um, quite, quite a lot, like seven years ago or something. And it was, you know, we were in a market where point solutions, we're really trying to compete against the big cloud, the big suites, you know, and the conventional wisdom was, you know, no one, got, no one gets fired for choosing IBM. That's right. And yep. at the time it made me think like, well, yeah, but no one got promoted, you know, and no one got hired either. You just took the safe, boring, sensible thing. Um, being driven by caution is never going to make you do anything interesting or exciting. And uh, I definitely think I've been lucky enough to work for companies that occupy the exciting space rather than the cautious space. But yeah, but it's a great point. And I think it speaks to like how, why messaging is so important to your different personas. And I think personas so often are, are title, are, you know, maybe geography, but a lot of times it's headspace, right? And it's like, you know, the, the, the IT leader who, you know, when, when the pandemic started, had their, you know, their, their board go to them and go, hey, you know, we needed digital transformation in the next week like immediately that, that takes every single person to a remote worker, like just make it so that we can talk to each other and communicate effectively versus the person whose board says, 
hey, you know, two years from now, I want to be able to have a team that runs or an innovation team inside of IT that's like spinning out projects. Like those are the mindset of those two leaders is like completely different, like reactionary versus proaction or proactivity. Uh, and, uh, and you have to market to those people, right? Differently. Like it's a, and, and if you're, if you believe that your product kind of allows a little bit of both of those things to happen, like the keep the lights on sort of stuff, like, yeah, we're going to keep the lights on. Don't worry. You're not going to get in trouble, but also like, Hey, you know, we're going to help you keep the lights on. You don't have to worry about that. And that gives you room to do X, Y, and Z. Like, it's just a different, it's a right. different message. That's, um, it's quite a, a radical thought, actually. I, I'm, I'm, I find it compelling to think of personas as headspace personas. You could have, you know, the panicked IT leader or the composed IT leader, and it's all based on the context or the culture of their business. So I think there's definitely something in that. Maybe I'll, I'll steal that one in. Yeah, go for it. Well, I, 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 I host, uh, I host a CIO podcast. <laughs> and so I, this is, right. uh, I've talked to, I've talked to hundreds of, of IT leaders. So I, I definitely am talking to them a lot, but I, but it's true. I mean, but I, and it isn't just the IT buyer too. It could be any type of buyer. I mean, like, you know, I think, you know, CPG companies and, and, uh, a lot of those type of companies, you know, they market very much like moment in time type things, you know, like, Hey, I just, you know, found out or just got married or just did this or just, you know, you know, whatever it is, uh, ready for the holidays. Like there's so much that's like timely that, that goes into their marketing that they want to, you know, do that stuff. And for B2B, it's like, it's not like that at all. Like there's a few gates, you know, a year there's budget season, there's, you know, whatever, but rarely, rarely do you ever actually need something in days. Like it just doesn't really happen. So the buyers by and large are going to drag their feet. So, you know, like if you have a, a buyer that can drag their, like the competition to your product uh, is, is, is non-action, right? <laughs> in most cases. So right. it's like, or maybe it's a competitor or something, but you know, fighting non-action is as a marketer is like way harder than, uh, than fighting, you know, Hey, I need to make a decision, you know, this budget season or something. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's like, you know, you watch PS5 versus Xbox or something that's got a lot of hype around there, a lot of marketing focus on it right now. And you're right they're head to head, right? How can we beat them? And how do we get another million more people to be excited? And just by default, you've got demand and you just have to figure out how much of the other person's demand you're going to steal. Whereas, yeah, for us and for a lot of software companies, it's apathy. It's how do you how do you make someone care about something that by default they don't care about? Yeah. And there's and some wisdom in what you said. No, totally. And you're putting work on their plate a lot of times. Oh, onboarding and this and that. And like, that's why, you know, like, you know, back to the customer experience conversation, like the customer experience of buying and adopting the software is like a huge part of the sales cycle, right? And like back in the day when we had these like super long adoption uh, and implementation, multi-year implementation, all this crazy stuff. Now it's it's totally different. And, and the expectations are such that, you know, you, the, again, they're going to do all the research about you anyways, right? Pro probably a lot of it anonymously, pro probably a lot of it in the dark. And by the time they come to you, you know, they have your G2 crowd up, they have your competitors, you know, they have they have all that stuff. And so... You have to you have to say like well where do we win where do we where do we compete and, and what should our messaging be so that when they get to that decision that we're the one. I think something else to add to that as well and 
when often when people say customer experience, they often think of almost the consumer experience because, you know, the thing that I think uh, is the, the quickest shortcut to describing why it's important is unboxing videos on YouTube. You know, you don't just buy gadget or a phone anymore. It, you're buying the presentation of the box that it comes in and how it slides out and how it sets up. It's much more than the utility of the product itself. I think software has been, or enterprise software has been so much slower to catch up with that. And even in NetMotion, we've got a long way to go to reach that high, almost perfect quality of the overall holistic customer experience from the moment you first hear about us to the moment you finally log in. And it's all of those micro touch points. It's almost going back to that Virgin anecdote I was sharing earlier. How do you make sure every single interaction you have with us as a business is just really damn good. <laughs> uh, and that's the challenge for people like me in thinking, well, hold on, how do we improve our onboarding or how do we, how do we deliver this in a way that goes way beyond what the utility of the product might be? So what's, uh, what's on the horizon for, for NetMotion? What, uh, what's next? Well, there's, uh, you know, so just to give a tiny bit of backstory on what we do as a company, we've traditionally been known as a VPN, which is an important part of the IT and security landscape, but it's evolving into zero trust. And uh, again, for those not super familiar with that term, it's the idea that by default, people don't get access to things. Only once you've proved or once the technology has shown, hey, this really is Joel and he really is sat there in the right office and the right location on the right device accessing a service he's supposed to be trying to access and then instantly gives it to them. So it's trying to remove some of those problems like multi-factor authentication or some of the legacy issues with having to dial into a VPN all the time. And so lots of it for me is trying to figure out how do you message something quite complicated where the value prop is mostly, well, I mean, it's, it's mixed, but mostly for the employee. And actually, I think a big part that's missing from a lot of CX conversation is EX, which is the employee experience. One example that comes to mind for me is if your customer service reps are using crappy software that takes ages to load or they're having to re-authenticate all day or they can't press this orders quickly. When a customer calls in, the length of that call is longer or the length of the support ticket resolution is slower. Or let's say your employees are having a really hard time communicating something because the, the IM or the unified comms platform keeps breaking or they can't log into a service or a cloud node is down or they have a crappy old laptop that just doesn't work very well. All of these little things that are frustrations for workers these niggles, these problems, these technology issues that get in the way of remote workforces in particular getting their jobs done are going to have consequences for the customer. So the customer experience is degraded if your employee experience is degraded. And so a big part of our messaging right now as a company is how can you use technology like NetMotion to improve the employee experience? So how can you monitor like how fast their network speed is or when they're encountering problems or diagnosing something for them so that when they get in touch with help desk, some of that information around re resolution is already there. So I think a huge part of the narrative in general in IT uh, and possibly marketing too for 2021 will be this concept of the employee experience, uh, which only recently has become in vogue. 100%. No, I totally agree. And, uh, and I think there's going to be a ton more positioning around EX. I think, I, I think this speaks to if, if you were to track, you know, software with all of these bottom-up products like Slack and and Zoom and and uh, you know Asana or all, all these things that can be purchased through small teams that can be you know that can go team to team to team through your entire company, mm -hmm. 
and they can also be bought enterprise. What you have is you had really high EX scores, right? <laughs> Essentially, mm-hmm. other people really liked using them, but they, you know, traditionally they weren't necessarily, they just didn't have like an enterprise motion. But now that, and this is like, it's a, it's a literally a business model thing, right? And then now that you have, you know, something, the reason, you know, part of the reason why Zoom, you know, took off so crazy is because they're a really great product for CIOs and they're a really great product for the employee, right? And a lot of times we have products that are really easy to buy for a technology leader or they, you know, that it works well in that way, but it might not work well on the user side or a great product to buy on the user side. But for the enterprise, it's a nightmare to manage an enterprise account because they haven't figured it out. And like that's it's a fascinating you know, challenge for marketers, right? Because like, really, you you want both. You want the good customer experience. You want the IT buyer to be super happy. But you also want the end user to be super happy. It's that uh, it's that trend of self provisioning. And I was talking to Jacob Morgan, who's a, like an influencer, if you like, in the world of EX. He talks about how the checklist for users about which software to buy and the checklist for IT leaders is just totally different. So the IT leaders might say. Hey, it needs four wheels, an engine, and uh, a steering wheel. And then the users look at it, and all four wheels are on one side of the car. And so IT did their job. You know, it's got SSO uh, certification, compliance, whatever. But the actual usability might be totally different. And and one really silly example I have in my team is we're using Microsoft Teams as an organization because it fits in with the the IT strategy of the business. But actually, my whole team constantly wants to use Slack. And the reasons are silly. They're like, it supports custom GIFs. It supports uh, like a huge range of emoji. It lets you tag people in a much better way. Whereas Microsoft Teams is really limited in these, these kind of silly functionality, but ultimately they're about what makes something consumer grade, what makes something fun and helpful to use. And one of my colleagues said this phrase, and I often repeat it just because I think it works so well. He says, um, you know, everyone wants security, but no one wants the security experience. And I truly believe everyone pretty much would choose convenience over security or convenience over enterprise architecture <laughs> viability. And so you're right, there's a few products, uh, maybe Slack is one of them, Zoom is one of them that do satisfy the needs of both. But I think if IT cannot satisfy the needs of users, then they're just going to self-provision their own tech anyway. Yeah, it's it's a great point and and such a such an opportunity for marketers, you know, especially you know if you're selling software, right? It's like mm-hmm. that's exactly if you can if you can help paint the picture for both the and I you know, it's another thing that we see all the time is just the wrong ad reaching the wrong audience, right? It's like if your brand, quote unquote brand ads are everywhere, for like, we'll, we'll just use Slack, for example, which by the way, just got acquired by uh, the sponsor of our show, Salesforce. So, so that's 28 billion. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but uh, but you take Slack, for example, um, and, and Julie, their CMO is awesome. But if you think about their brand campaigns, which they run a ton of, are about adoption, right? They're about the fun, the joy, the, 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 the you know, things like that. It's a very different set. Like you... And I, well, maybe you and I should, but a lot, most people should not be seeing Slack's enterprise demand gen type, you know, advertising or assets mm-hmm. or campaigns, right? And it's one of those things that I think people just really miss the mark on when they're, you know, go to market has enterprise um, is like they try to go brand play for something that 
you know, the IT buyer literally does not care about certain things. And so why are you, why are you marketing? Why is that part of, you know, why are you, or why are you putting like the IT brand play messaging into your, you know, whatever it's like. Do you know, do you know why though? I think it can be effective. And in the example of Slack is uh, a previous company I worked for, they were using, oh God, I don't know what it was. It might've even been Yammer or some sort of Facebook. It was some platform no one really used to communicate. And what ended up happening is different teams were just self-provisioning their own free trial Slack instances. And by the point at which IT or security figure out that like they've got, they've got a problem on their hands because everyone's effectively doing shadow IT and using what they want to use. And so when the, the time the Slack salesperson comes in, they go, you already have 120 people in your organization using our product. Why don't you buy the enterprise one? And it's such a competitive, it's the same thing Hootsuite did, another BC company actually. Hootsuite oh, go, sure. go into Coca-Cola and they go, you know, you have 200 employees using our product already and you don't even know about it. And you, you, know, you don't have authentication or all of these other important security issues around it. Let's talk enterprise. And, and, and that's where I think there is an exception to almost marketing to the wrong audience. You're marketing to the, to the people that don't have any IT influence directly. And then they end up, they end up being like a covert sale, if you like. And so I, I think it can work sometimes. Oh, no, I totally agree. I, I'm not saying, and, and what I'm saying is that they conflate the messaging of the two things. So right. in, in the example is when you have a webinar with VP of IT infrastructure or, you know, your, your wine meet and greets, that's when you have positioning around, did you know that the average Fortune 500 already has, you know, over 700 employees that use Slack, for example, mm. versus putting that on the ad, the, the TV ad, right? Or the, on, the ad on 101, whereas like the, 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 the TV ad, you'd probably be better. I mean, maybe you'd be better off sort of saying like, we have more emojis on Slack than any other, <laughs> I what saying. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then everyone's like, dang, I like to share emojis like that. I'm like, ah, oh, the thing I use right now, it does suck at sharing emojis. So like, I think that that's kind of the, the difference in the messaging and they, they conflate the channel and the message. And then it's, it's, it's mixed rather than like, you know, if the, you can't have a one size fits all approach when you're marketing to enterprise and to this like EX sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Well, uh, well, we're, we're, we're running out of time here, but we, we got to get you uh, on our lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. Our lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce. We love Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to check it out. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing on the world's number one CRM. Lightning round questions. Joel, are you ready? Yes. Okay. Number one. What is the craziest thing that Banks has done while you've been on a video call in the past 10 months? <laughs> he has brought in a mouthful. He is my cat, by the way. He has brought in a mouthful of bird uh, that was still flapping in his mouth, which I had to uh, leave a recorded call for, which was highly embarrassing. Covered in that's, rain as well. That's pretty embarrassing. That's pretty good. Um, is there, a, is there a habit or a hobby that you picked up in 2020? This is uh, extremely West Coast of me, but I now do Pilates, considering I can't do exercise out of the house consistently. I have to uh, find ways to do it in the house. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? I would like to say a professional sports player, but I would probably be uh, in an alley somewhere uh, wondering about how I'm going to earn my next paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a best piece of advice for a first-time CMO? I think 
the thing that lots of people fail to do or forget to do is just to listen. Uh, normally, if you're becoming a CMO for the first time, you're either promoted internally or you've just joined a new company. And I think there's often an eagerness to deliver straight away. But my advice would always be take 90 days, listen, understand what's working before you decide to do anything else. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I wish people asked how important education is in getting a marketing role, because I still think there's a legacy perception that you need to go get your MBA or go get a master's in marketing, that kind of thing. And I think the reality with the way the world has been the last 10 years is that it's great to have, but some of the best people I've ever worked with just became a marketer in their free time, became a marketer during school and certainly don't have any higher education qualifications at all. Yeah, that's a, that's a great piece of advice because uh, you can just listen to, uh, to shows like marketing trends and, and learn all you need to know. Um, and, uh, from, from, from the best, best in class people like you, Joel. Well, thanks so much for, for joining any, uh, any final thoughts, obviously, you know, our listeners, you can, you can check out, uh, netmotionsoftware.com to learn more about Netmotion, all the cool stuff they're doing. If you need a VPN, if you need more than that, uh, talk to Joel. Yeah. Uh, or I'm linked here on Twitter. If you want to pester me, or if you are any good at soccer and you happen to live on Vancouver Island, come and join my soccer team. <laughs> nice. That's maybe that'll be a maybe that'll be a, a marketing trends uh, vacation. We'll come up to Vancouver. <laughs> we'll do a big CMO summit and uh, host a host a football tournament. Hey, I'm that's I'm in. We'll have to coordinate because uh, <laughs> that sounds great. Right about now, the net motion invitational. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, indeed. Awesome. Thanks again and uh, take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. 
Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.